Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. I believe God is about building something significant here in Freedom Church. Freedom Church is not called to be a little just local church. You heard it from Stuart earlier on, and I just want to reiterate it. God is doing something big here. And uh, part of that is because you've got these two. And uh, is this making some sense? I just want you to look after these two, please. And they would never say it, and they would never ask for it, but just never underestimate the pressure that's on them. And, you know, maybe when you're thinking about writing that slightly grumpy email... Or, you know, just having that, just think about how you're going to say it, and don't, okay? (laughs) If you want to say something, here's my experience as a leader, if you want to say something positive, feel free to put it in an email. If you want to say something negative, say it face to face. And if you haven't got the guts to say it face to face, don't say it. Yeah? Jesus says, you know, Matthew 18, you know, if you've got something against somebody, go and tell them. You know, don't email them. Don't leave them a voicemail. Don't text them. Don't, I don't know where this is coming from, but just go and talk to them. And I really believe if you haven't got the guts to go and talk to them, don't talk to them. Don't hide behind electronic stuff. Because it's just too... Uh, don't do that with anyone in this community. Amen? Don't do it with anybody. You know? But especially don't do it with these two. Because if you do, I'm going to come and get you, okay? <laughs> because they are too precious and God wants to do big things in them and through them and if God does big things in them and through them that's going to mean big things for this community and big things for you as individuals in this community and uh, we live in a culture that likes to chop down tall poppies you know anyone who dares to stick their head above the power pit just gets it chopped off and uh, we need to resist that in the church and when people shine, we need to be encouraging them. I want to talk about this tomorrow, about building a culture of encouragement. But we need to be lifting people up and go, you are brilliant. Amen? Amen. 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 So, what was I going to say? Yeah, when Sim first told me this theme of over the top, I must have had two th- ideas, first of all, which were not quite the right one. The first one was that this was going to be like World War I trench warfare. <laughs> And somehow over the top was like putting your head down and getting it blasted off by enemy fire. And then I had the idea that maybe over the top was just about being like a bit over the top. And I should come here dressed as a, a banana or something. But, uh, <laughs> you know, just come in and be like Chip. You know, just like, he <laughs> was brilliant, wasn't he? I can't be that energetic for about 30 seconds. And he just needs to manage to sustain it for the whole time he was here. But I loved it when Sim said, actually, that the idea is this, like, going over the top of a mountain ridge. And I love mountains. I love, I want to tell a little bit of a story tomorrow about climbing mountains with one of our sons. And I love mountains. I love, you know, that sense of achievement when you get to the top. I love the fact that there are things that you can only see if you make the effort to get to the top. And, uh, yeah. And I, I just thought it was a brilliant theme. And I just want to bring one idea tonight. And it's the idea of being willing to embrace change. And uh, people sometimes say that I'm a re- when I preach, it's really simple. And uh, I think people normally mean that as a criticism. But uh, I'll take it as a compliment. And uh, I just want to preach a really simple idea tonight. Uh, 
Um, but I think it could be profound for you as a community. And it's the idea that, that lots of things are going to change. And you just need to be open to that. And you need to be willing to not just like watch it, but get on board with it. Get behind it. You know? So I want to take you to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. And I love the book of Joshua. Um, if you don't know, it's the sixth book in the Bible. So the Bible's, we would do this on a Sunday. So we would never say just turn to a book in the Bible. Because, um, you know, if you say on a Sunday, turn to John, all the, cap, you know, all the non-Christians are going like, who's John? Which one's John? Now we know we mean turn to the book of John in the Bible. So we would say something like, hey, in the Bible there's two parts. There's the Old Testament, which is the bit written before Jesus, the New Testament, the bit written after. And in there, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at a story that's in John's account. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to look at a book called Joshua, which is in the Old Testament. And if you know the story, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt and uh, crossed the Red Sea and into the desert. They got to the edge of the Promised Land, sent in spies, and decided it was too scary. So for 40 years, they wander in the wilderness until the whole generation, other than Joshua and Caleb, who were two of the spies, die. And they come back to the edge of the promised land, on the edge of the River Jordan. Moses drops down dead, and Joshua, his assistant, comes to take over. And I think this story is a great illustration of how God leads us as people. It says this, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. God wanted to make really sure that Joshua knew that he was dead. I think Joshua knew that he was dead already, but God wants to make him really clear, like, you're in charge now, boy. You know, there's no one else. There's no looking behind you anymore. Moses is dead. You're it. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the River Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place. Say every place. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. I think the first thing that God does when he leads us is he gives us a big vision. God wants us to be a people of vision. God wants us to be people who have big dreams, big ideas of what he is about, of what he's going to do. And primarily, our biggest vision should be Jesus. Amen? Yes, I think that's probably right, Simon. <laughs> in our church, everyone stands on their chairs and applauds when we... No, they don't. <laughs> that's in my dreams that they do that. Our big vision should be Jesus. Amen? Amen? You know, it should be him who fills our eyes, who fills our sight. We want to be Jesus fanatics. Yeah? We should be so passionate about Jesus. We should not be ashamed in any measure of Jesus. He should fill the whole of our vision. The whole of our lives should be about him. You know, Jesus needs to be our savior. We need to know that we're loved. We're cherished by God that we're saved unconditionally, that we're saved by grace as a gift. But Jesus also needs to be our Lord. I think we talk a lot about being Jesus, being our Savior. I think we're often a bit more uncomfortable about the idea of Jesus being our Lord. But he can't be your Savior without also being your Lord. 
He can't be your savior unless you also make him your Lord. And having him as your Lord means that you put every area of your life under his control and his command. Your finances, your relationships, your emotions, everything that you are, you put under the control of Jesus. You submit to him. It's all going a bit quieter now. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't just mean that, hey, he's my savior. We all love that bit, don't we? No, he's also my Lord. I also submit my life to him. I now live my life as he commands rather than I command, as he wants rather than I want. And that's a journey, isn't it? It's a journey of sanctification, of, of fully submitting ourselves to him. But Jesus needs to be our vision. He needs to be the one that our eyes are fixed on. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. This is a clue. When I leave a little gap, it's like if anyone... <laughs> this is good coaching. If I leave a little gap, that is like if you know the answer, shout it out, okay? Let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Let's fix our eyes on so that we won't grow weary and lose hope. It's never Jesus and something. No, it's just Jesus. We want to have a vision of Jesus. My passion for Freedom Church is that you would have a bigger and bigger vision of Jesus. I don't know what your issue and problem might be at the moment, but I know that the answer is Jesus and a bigger revelation of him. And you never arrive in terms of knowing Jesus. I love what Paul prays for the church, that they might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul knows that he never arrives in terms of him knowing Jesus. There's always more of Jesus to know. He is infinite. You are finite. There is always more of Jesus to know. If any of you think you've arrived in your knowledge of Jesus, you are wrong. There is more of him, and you need to get moving again in knowing him better. And let's be captivated by Jesus. Let's not be unafraid to, afraid to sing and declare our love for Jesus. Not as our boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, not that sort of love, but a passionate love because he saved me. He rescued me. I was on a path to an eternity without God, and I'm now on a route to eternity with God because of Jesus. Amen? But within that, then Jesus gives us a vision. And uh, his vision for the church is the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of... Well done. <laughs> Baptizing them know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That for me is, that's what I said we're about as a church. Hey, making disciples. Seeing people saved and added, and then growing in their faith in Jesus. I don't know, does your church have a vision statement? Every church vision statement is basically the Great Commission and the Great Commandment put together in some sort of like, yeah. Is yours the same? Yeah. Why? Because that's the core of who we are. Hey, love God and love people. Stuart said that so brilliantly this afternoon, didn't he? This morning. Hey, and go out and make disciples. That, that's what it means to be a church. And that's the vision, that, the big vision that God has for freedom. It's the big vision that God has for every church. But then I think God in individual churches sows in individual churches a vision as well. And uh, I think God is increasingly giving you a vision of what he wants you to be. Part of going over the top is him giving a fresh vision to you. And I think you, in a season where God wants to give you a fresh vision of how much he can do through you as a church. 
The danger for us as followers of Jesus Christ is we think and dream too small. You ever read the, the parable of the sower? When Jesus talks about what happens to seeds sown in good soil. You know, we often think of like doubling or tripling as being good. What does Jesus say is good soil? 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. The Freedom Church is how big today? 100 and something. So let's say 150. 30 times that would look like 4,500. 60 times that would look like 9,000. 100 times that would look like 15,000. That's what Jesus said seed planted in good soil will do. He wants to lift our eyes. He wants to lift our vision to believe for more than maybe we'd ever believed for before. Amen? We set the goal of 100. We looked at the church at Acts 2. And in Acts 2, you know, day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. And then it says at the end of Acts chapter 2 that daily God added to their number those who were being saved. So my simple maths was that a church of 3,000 is seeing over 300 people saved every day, every year, not every day. Our church of 1,000 should see 100 people saved every day. Can you do that maths? It's just, and I'm like, well, let's believe for a Jesus-sized vision. Jesus said 30, 60, 100 times, let's believe for that. And I want to believe for this church to be bigger than you can ever dream of it being. Not because you hoover up all the Christians out of the other churches. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, there are plenty of churches in our nation growing big by hoovering up all the local Christians and emptying the other local churches. We are not about doing that. We're about seeing lost people become found people. Yeah, I'm indeed church people becoming church people. I'm cool with that. But primarily, God wants to see growth in this church through lost people becoming found people. Through people who are, right now are far from God. They're watching Strictly and whatever. They haven't even got a thought for God. <laughs> Set you all off now, haven't I? <laughs> X Factor, I don't know. You're Strictly Church or an X Factor Church? Strictly, yeah. Southerners, I don't know. <laughs> but God says there are thousands, tens of thousands of people in this community who do not know Jesus. And he wants to give you a big vision of reaching those people. Amen? He wants to give you a big vision of what he can do. He took 12 uneducated men and he turned the known world upside down. What could he do through this crowd? He wants to give you a big vision of what God can do. And don't go Romsey small. Romsey might be quite small, but you could have a quite a big church out of all the people in Romsey. But God wants you to think bigger than Romsey. You know, to think Southampton and Winchester and Salisbury. You know, to think the wider area, to think the nation and to think the nations. You know, we as a church are now impacting churches in Estonia. Our youth pastor Liam is out in Estonia this week and uh, leading a youth conference there at the weekend. We're involved in churches in Macedonia and Serbia and Albania. I'm out going out on Monday to Zambia. Hey, one church can touch the nations. God wants to give you a vision for the nations. That out of here, like the area would be changed. Jerusalem, your Judea, you know, your Winchester, your Salisbury, your Southampton, your Samaria, beyond that, and the ends of the earth. Amen? God wants to give you a big vision. And it's not for me to tell you what that vision is. It's for you to discern that vision and to hear from God. Sim is going to hear much of that vision. 
and bring that vision. And you want to be people who hear that. So when God leads us, he gives us a vision. I was supposed to say that quite quickly, but I said that quite slowly. <laughs> Made that sense? And I think this is, this is me being really simple. When God wants to guide you, he gives you a vision, and then he, all he gives you is a next step. Now, the bottom line is that we would like all the steps, wouldn't we? In fact, we'd like the ordnance survey maps, you know, we'd like the route guide, we'd like the GPS coordinates, you know, we would like the whole thing laid out. And my experience is that God doesn't do that, because we're in a game called faith, and faith means trusting God. And if we knew all the steps, we wouldn't need to trust God anymore. So I think God gives us a big picture and then time and again in the scriptures, God just gives people the next step. This is what he says to Joshua. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, we'll cross the Jordan and go in and take possession of the land. God just tells them the next step. And the next step is to cross the Jordan. They have no idea what happens after that. We're going to cross the Jordan. And then we're going to worry about how we take the land. And I want to argue tonight that that's how God has always led his people. You think of Abraham. Abraham is a fantastic example. And uh, if you know Abraham, God calls him, gives him this amazing set of promises, Genesis 12. You know, God's going to bless him, and through him, all the nations on earth are going to be blessed. And, uh, and then God calls him to go to the promised land, to set out for the promised land. And this is how Hebrews 11 in the New Testament says it. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his, as his inheritance, Obeyed and went, I love this, even though he didn't know where he was going. If you read the account in the Old Testament, God basically says to Abraham, pack up, move out. That's it. I imagine if I went home to my wife Katrina and told her that this was the plan. You know, we're going to the promised land. Okay, where is it? No idea. We're just going to pack up and leave home. I don't think that would be an easy conversation. God didn't give him the whole... God gave him the big picture. You're going to receive your inheritance. You're going to go to a land that is going to be amazing, and that's where it's going to be your land. What do I need to do? Just take the next step. And I want to encourage you as a community, that's probably all you're ever going to have. I think God is going to give you a whole series of just next steps, but until you take one step, God is not going to give you the next one. Does that make sense? I know that's true in my life. I know I want all the steps. I know when God told me, I felt God say, hey, step into leading the church after Ben and I, after I was invited. And I'm like, God, I've got so many questions. But I knew the first question is just, am I going to do this thing or not? And then actually, you just take the next steps. And you take a step, and then you see what God does. And then when you've taken that step, God shows you the next step. In fact, if you're stuck, I don't know if anyone here feels like you're stuck. Here's just a bit of advice. If you feel you're stuck as a Christian and you're static, just do something. Just take a step in any direction that takes you vaguely closer to the vision that God might have for your life. You know, I, I meet so many Christians who are sat around on their bum, just going, God, God speak to me about what I should be doing. God, speak, and it sounds so spiritual. God, speak to me. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I think God is in heaven just going like, just do anything. <laughs> I don't care what you do. Just do something. You know, just take a step in some direction. Just get moving. 
Because until we get moving, it's very hard for God to lead us and guide us. And God is drawn to motion. God is drawn to momentum. God is just drawn to people who are going in a direction. And I think often it doesn't matter whether it's like exactly the right direction. I think so many times in life we get stuck between two things and we're desperately praying, God, which one do you want me to do? I mean, some of our students who are going, I've, I've got these two offers. I don't know which university to go to. I'm really asking God. And I'm just like, which one do you want to go to? Do you think God is so small that he can't work out his will, whichever one of these two you choose? I don't think God's particularly interested which university you go to. He might be interested in your motives behind the one that you choose. But God just wants you to choose. God doesn't really care. God says, if you go to this university, I'll use you. If you go to this university, I'll use you. It doesn't matter. I think so many times we get stuck. It's like we wake up in the morning asking God what clothes we should wear. We wouldn't do that. Hey, God is asking us to use our brains sometimes. Does this make some sense? Cool. So if you're stuck, just take a step anywhere. And if you haven't got a vision for your life, just tuck in behind somebody else's vision. Amen? You know, if you don't, I, I for years, I remember hearing a preacher preach about visions that had died and asking God for the vision, you know. And I just said to God, I've never had a vision. I've just always done like the obvious thing. If somebody asked me to do something, I'd just do it. I'd car parked in church life, and I did youth, and I did this, and I did that, and I did... I just did like whatever was fitted in with the bigger vision of where God was doing. And I think it's not as dangerous that we all think we've got to have our own little personal vision. Now God goes, hey, there's the vision. We're part of something amazing, the church. Stuart spoke about it brilliantly this morning. Let's get behind the vision of that. Let's make our lives about that vision and give ourselves to that. So I think one of the most powerful things that we can do is to choose to change. Because the reality is that this choice that the Israelites had at this point, they had to choose, are we going to cross into the promised land or are we going to stay here? And 40 years earlier with Moses, they'd had exactly the same vision. I won't read it now, but if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 1, God lays out for them 40 years earlier exactly the same vision of what he wants to do, of the land that he wants to give them. But the people decided at that moment that they were more comfortable with staying where they were than stepping into what the new thing that God had for them. You know, they, they liked better what they knew rather than what they didn't know. And if you know the story, they sent in 12 spies. Ten of them came back. Well, they all came back and said, it's brilliant. It's overflowing in milk and honey. But ten of them came back and said, but it's full of giants and we're going to get slaughtered if we go there. And Joshua and Caleb came back and said, hey, God's with us. He's going to give us the land. But the people decided not to go in. And I want to say that when God gives us a big vision, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Does that make sense? God can give you an incredible vision. And you can think, well, we're just going to sit back and see it happen. No, it doesn't work like that. No, God gives you a vision, but then you have to choose to step into the vision. You have to choose to actually make the vision yours by choosing to step into it, by being willing to change, by being willing to to see your life changed, you know, coming over the top, having a different perspective, a different view. So I just want to speak for a few minutes about being open to change. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, and uh, I like my little two-by-two two matrices. And uh, we got that? Yeah. So I wonder where you are with change. Who here thinks they're good with change? Who here hates change? Who here is an introvert and doesn't want to put their hand up? (laughs) 
No, no, I'm running for the worst long. I'm going to put my hand up. That's just too... Okay, I just want to... This, you might say this doesn't look very spiritual, but uh, my, my experience of church is that most churches are resistant to change. You know, I think probably of all the things in society, church is the thing that's most resistant to change. Just think, like, where else in society do they still have pews? Yeah? Anyone been to a football match recently where they had pews? It's your stadium, St. Mary's, isn't it? Has that, that got pews? Has that still got wooden benches? Like, you know, this football... St- has it? No, it's like state-of-the-art, isn't it? Do you go to the cinema and it's still... No, it's like really comfortable and nice. Everywhere else. Where, where else in the world do we still sing songs from like 100 years ago? Or 200 years ago? It's only in church. Now, maybe you go... Well, we're not like that, Simon. We haven't got any pews. That's only because you had to move into a school hall that doesn't have them. (laughs) No, I think this is a place that's more... But I think church, and I think even churches like this, churches on the cutting edge can be resistant to change. And actually, the reality is we can change much too slowly. And, you know, society is moving at that speed, and we're sort of trundling along, just getting further and further and further behind. Not that we're trying to match society, but actually we want to be ahead of society. We want the church to be the head and not the tail. And yet so often we're like the tail and the tail so far from the head that you could barely see from one to the other. And I think it's vital as churches that we get our heads around change. I was just writing down some of the changes that have happened in Kerith since I've been leading it. So we've changed our name. We were originally Blackwell Family Church. You've changed your name too. Well done. (laughs) And you're still here. That's fantastic. We've changed um, how we use charismatic gifts in our church. We're still utterly committed to the charismatic, but we do it in a way that isn't completely bonkers. And that lost people can come in and experience the power of the charismatic without being freaked out by us just being weird. We've abandoned membership. We've gone to multiple meetings. We've had the kids out from the start of our meetings. That almost caused a riot. Um, we finished our eve- we were a proper Baptist church, so if you were a proper Baptist Christian, you came to church morning and evening. We don't do a different evening meeting now. It's the same as the morning. People didn't like that. We started ministries. That's normally okay. We've ended ministries. Oh, dear. <laughs> you don't want to go doing that. <laughs> My experience of Christians is that you don't find out how spiritual someone is when you ask them to start doing something. You find out how spiritual you are when they ask them to stop. The number of people that I've asked to stop doing something, and they go absolutely ballistic. And you think, what was this about? It was about you. Anyway, that's another. We've changed people's roles. We've changed the times of our meetings. We've started new sites. We're just about to change the color of our chairs. (laughs) I'm going to be in Zambia the Sunday that happens. (laughs) It's so cool. <laughs> we haven't really told anyone. It's, uh... <laughs> the reality, and, and, and actually underneath the cultural changes that have happened in our church to build a c- culture where people can belong before they believe have been much bigger. We have made huge changes. Now, we haven't changed the gospel. The gospel is unchanging. The gospel never changes. The news of Jesus Christ is unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the gospel is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. But our expression of the gospel can be totally different. 
The way that we present the gospel can be totally different as long as it's the same gospel that we're presenting at the core. So I want to talk about this little matrix, and this is just a bit of fun, really, but hopefully it will help you think about change. So are you resistant to change or enthusiastic about change? I'm not asking you now, but you can go. And are you irrational about change or rational? So do you just have like a, you know, just a, a reaction to change, or do you think about change? Are you rational about it? And I just want to talk about which one of these boxes you're in. So some people are resistant to change and irrational about it. So they don't know why they don't want to change. They just don't want to change. And uh, I call those people laggards. Some people will call those people church members. <laughs> and uh, in reality, all of us are sometimes this person. So when it comes to coffee for me, I I'm a laggard. You know, I like either a black Americano or a latte. Now, I don't know what a mocha is. And as for a flat white, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just not, I'm not even going to try it. I mean, who, who wants a drink that starts with the word flat? I mean, it's just like... <laughs> so, so, so when it comes to coffee, I'm a laggard, okay? And we might be in different... Boss but, but basically, people who are in this box, they'll never agree to the change. You can try as hard as you want to explain it to them and sell it and like, push it and do all the rest of it. It doesn't matter. In the end of the t day, you've just got to make the change. And what happens is that that new thing then becomes their tradition. It's brilliant. And then I go, no, we, we only want red chairs. We only want red chairs. And then you change the chairs to be blue. And then they go, we only want blue chairs. <laughs> the only way that you can get those people to change is by making the change. And you may find as a community you have some laggards. And you cannot wait until everyone agrees with the change. Does this make sense? Because if you do that, you'll never make the change. You'll get stuck. You will never, ever change the thing. And there are going to come points where Sim has to have the courage just to go, we're going to do this thing. I know everybody hasn't got on board, but we're just going to do this thing. Now, I want to encourage those of you who are laggards to stop being laggards and move to one of the other boxes. Any of the other boxes really would be preferable to that box. Okay? <laughs> to trust him enough that when he comes to change something, that, that, that he has heard from God and the leaders have heard from God, and you're going to run from it, even if you don't agree with it. Yeah? Okay, what about if you're irrational but enthusiastic? We call those people teenagers. And I want to say that they are brilliant. Yeah? Our churches need more people who are irrational but enthusiastic about change. You know, the reality with teenagers is they just try things. They just do things. If you want to know where the cutting edge of social media is, talk to the teenagers. The reality is they've all given up on Facebook. That'd be true? Facebook is like so old, because all you lot are on Facebook now. <laughs> And initially, you only joined Facebook so you could stalk them. <laughs> but now they, they don't want you following them. So they've now all moved. Facebook is for old people. Is this true? Yeah, yeah. So these guys are all on Instagram and Snapchat now. But what's happening now is the old people are catching up on Instagram. And there'll be another thing that comes upon. And who'll be the first to adopt that? It'll be the youngsters. And I think we all need some more of that spirit in us. A spirit that would say, I'm just going to try things. 
I'm just going to live it with abandon. So I can't remember your name. The, the lady who spoke to us last night about taking our shoes off. I observed that nobody actually took their shoes off. <laughs> Why? Because we're, we're not, we don't just do stuff. You know, we want to explain them. We want it to be sensible. And I think God wants to unleash a wave of creativity in this place. I think God wants to unleash it. I've loved the lady who's been painting. It's brilliant, isn't it? I thought you were going to paint tonight as I preached, but you don't want to miss it. <laughs> but I love it. Don't you love it? And I, one of the things I fear is that as we get older, the creativity is beaten out of us. The reality is when we were five, we did rubbish drawings, and we were proud to take them home to our parents. Anyone realize that? You know, and your parents would put them up on the fridge, and they would think, that's rubbish. <laughs> but it's, it's my child's rubbish. But that abandon that says, hey, I can just create. And if it doesn't turn out being that brilliant, that's okay. I don't think we are more like God than when we're being creative. The first thing we learn about God in the Bible, in the beginning, God created. The first thing we know about the character of God is not that he's loving or compassionate or merciful, that he is creative. And Eve, I didn't know whether to... It is Eve, isn't it? I didn't know whether to risk this, but I'm just going to risk this. And I think you... I'm saying this representing lots of the teenagers here. But I think God has invested massive creativity in you. And I think he's put huge creativity in your heart and in your spirit. Is that true? <laughs> and I think God wants to release it and unleash it. And uh, I think the danger is that for you, you can't find a place to do that in the life of the church. And I think God wants you to be brave enough to do that in the life of the church. And I want to speak that across all of us, but particularly across our youngsters. One of the most wonderful things that's happened in our church since I took over leading was an explosion in the youth. And uh, we went from a youth group with maybe 30 or 40 young people to actually at one point went up to about 500 people coming on a Friday. And now is stuck at about 200 to 300 young people every Friday night. And what I love about our youth is that the youth lead the whole meeting. So there's a few adults around to make it like safe and child protection and all that sort of dull stuff. But the, the, the youth run the meeting. And as it grew, one of the questions we had to ha ask was, were we going to let the youth in our nice, shiny auditorium? Because we have a like, you know, really nice auditorium. And it's got hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of PA and all sorts of stuff in it. And we want it to be nice for Sunday. And the fear was if we let the youth in it on a Friday, it would be wrecked by Sunday. And uh, we decided to just risk it. And uh, on a Friday night, our youth run everything. So they set the whole place up, and they spend hours like moving stuff around. Um, they do the registration on the door. You know, they've come up with a program. They're the band on the platform. They're the guys running the PA. They're the hosts. They're the preacher. And they're the one at the end of the evening tidying it all up and cleaning the loose and doing everything. And, uh, and it's just been a remarkable. And out of that are just coming amazing young leaders in God. Stuart Bell's, I'll just boast this, Stuart Bell's new youth leader is a guy who got saved in our youth. He was one of my friends, my, my son Jacob's best friends. 
and I used to come to our house to play Xbox and got saved. And uh, he's now Stuart's youth pastor in Lincoln. And you think he grew through there because he was just given opportunities to do stuff. And uh, I want to challenge you as a church to give your teenagers opportunities to do stuff. And, uh, you know, in the band, in preaching, in the life of the church, you know, the reality is our teenagers are out doing amazing stuff in the world, and yet in church we can be so reluctant to let them do anything very much. And I want to encourage you to loose them. Loose the eaves of this world. To be whatever wacky creative she wants to be. You know? Loose them. Let them feel. Now, they'll mess up every now and again, but far less than you thought they would do. And God will produce something remarkable out of them. And, uh, and God wants to release some of the teenager in all of us. Amen? God wants to loose re- creativity across this space. You know, I love it. You've got songwriters in your midst. Just more of that. Yeah? Nicola, I've been staying with, is just wonderful. It's been a, so every week cooks the cake from the bake-off. <laughs> I know. That's cool creativity, isn't it? Lottie is one of the most creative people I know. And Lottie, just don't lose it. You know? and, and don't feel that you just have to express it outside of here, but find space to express it in here. As a church, do things that are beautiful just for the sake of doing things that are beautiful. They don't have to have a purpose other than to express the, the beauty of God and his creativity and his glory. And uh, I want to encourage you to be a bit more enthusiastically irrational in embracing stuff. Does that make sense? Cool. Two more. If you're rational but resistant, these people are good trustees. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> you know, these are the people that you want to have checking that you're not about to make some ludicrous decision, <laughs> but you don't want to put them in charge. You know, these are the people that if you're trying to feed the 5,000, come and tell you that you've only got five loaves and two fish, and make sure you know that. They're great people to have around, because actually they stop the thing from going bonkers. You know, and they keep limits, and they keep boundaries. You need these people, but don't put these people in control. Don't put these people in charge. Because if you do, you'll just slow the pace of progress to zero. And then finally, you've got people who are rational and enthusiastic about change. You know, people who think through the change and are willing to have the guts to actually make it. I would call those people world changers. Actually, those are the people who can release the teenagers. Those are the people who create the safe spaces for the teenagers to do what God has called them to do. Because they can go off and be as crazy as they want and those world changes will make sure, hey, they're okay. This is a safe place for people to mess around with this stuff. And I want to say that in Sim, you've got one of those people. Amen? I mean, churches led by all sorts of these people. Lots of churches led by people who are very rational but resistant. You know, want to change the world but don't actually want to change the color of the seats. I think in Sim, you have someone who is wonderfully enthusiastic. You know, it comes with a beautiful sense of, like, possibility. Of, like, God can do this. Full of faith. But also is 
willing to think that through, is willing to discuss that and see how that happens. And I believe that a few changes coming. I believe change is coming. I think you've been on a little bit of change. I think God is just about to accelerate it. I heard that you'd had your first cap client here last Sunday. And God working in them. Hey, God is about to bring an avalanche of people who are going to come to you. And I think you're on the cusp of God just doing a whole load of fresh stuff. And uh, my encouragement to you is to embrace change. It's to embrace the idea of change, to embrace the possibility of change, to embrace people who are driving change. That as a church, you wouldn't be resistant. You wouldn't be like treacle that everyone's trying to wade through, but you would be united in going, no, this is where we're going. Now, it's so important you keep that vision ahead of you. Hey, this is what we're about, making disciples of all nations. And then you do whatever it takes to make that happen. And I haven't got much more to say than that. But does that make some sense? And I wonder whether we could pray. I wonder whether... Maybe some of you know that you're in that laggard box. And actually, I think God tonight wants to release some laggards to be teenagers. I think some of you older folks, God just wants to put a smile on your face again. As you're just a bit naughty. I'm just like, am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to... Mess around like that. And God says, yeah, he does. He wants you to. You know, it's the little children who inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, some of you, God just wants to make you a bit, be a bit playful. Does that make some sense? You're all thinking he's completely mad now. I think God wants to release some people here tonight. So let's pray. Let's just pray. Have you got the gift of tongues? Speak out in tongues. Out loud. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. You haven't got the gift of tongues, just pray out in English. Oh God. Yeah, Father, I want to come and thank you for this wonderful community of people. And uh, Father, I want to pray that you would paint a big vision over this community. Father, I pray that you would give them big dreams. Oh, I thank you that you challenged us to think big. That when you talked about growth, you didn't talk about doublings or triplings. You talked about multiplication. You talked about 30 times, 60 times, 100 times what was sown. God, I want to speak over this place, bigness. Look, our bigness of impact. Look, our bigness of life change. Look, God, large numbers of people coming to know you, coming into a relationship with you knowing Jesus. Look at large numbers. God, I want to pray and speak creativity over this church, Lord God. I want to pray and speak people stepping out, doing things they haven't done before, Lord God. Maybe going back to that five-year-old just painting and drawing and, and not being afraid of what others might say and what others might think. 
God, I pray that you would help them to discern next steps. Have the courage to step into next steps. God, the courage to embrace change. God, to believe you for change, to have confidence for change. Look, God, not to be resistant, but to be open. Look, God, even to be enthusiastic about what you're going to do. Look, God, not to hold on to things of the past. Look, God, but to be able to embrace new things, new ways of doing things, new ideas, new concepts, Lord God. Speak it over this community, Lord God. In Jesus' name. whether we could get into pairs and uh, just pray over one another that's okay and uh, I just sense as we do that God's going to speak prophetically and uh, is this alright Sim yeah and uh, what I w- <laughs> it's too late now isn't it <laughs> what I want you is in twos or threes is is just to seek God for a word for the other person. Yeah? You know, the Bible says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And I mean, situations where people go, well, we're open to spiritual gifts. No, the Bible doesn't say be open to spiritual gifts. The Bible says eagerly desire. Eagerly desire. Well, that means really want. Really press into. Really be like asking for and hoping for. So, why do you ask God to give you a word for the person next to you? Yeah? Or maybe you've never done this before. A word can simply be an encouragement. It doesn't have to be like some amazing, thus saith the Lord. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's just like I, I sense God would want to say this to you. God would want to speak this to you. Is that okay? So find somebody else next to you, two or three. And then when you've done that for each other, just hang on a minute. I want us to move around. Is this okay? All the introverts are going to die, but I'm an introvert as well, so that's okay. And I want you to look around the room and look for someone who you feel, hey, God is speaking to that person. And then I want you to have the courage to go to that person and tell them what you think God is saying to them. Is that okay? Yeah. And we've locked the doors, okay? <laughs> They're firmly locked and no one's allowed out of the building. That's not true, but I. But I, you were up for stepping out. You have to do something a little bit different. I just think God's going to speak some great stuff in the next few minutes, and we've got to finish in a few minutes. And just move around. So pray for the person next to you, and then once you've got a bit of courage out of doing that, go and find somebody else who God just shows you, and just say something over them. It could just be like, I like the top you're wearing. It could just be like something as simple as that. But it might be something more profound than that, that you sense God wants to speak over them. Is that okay? Go forth. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.